0: Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew chapter 11. If you need a Bible, I think there's one on the back table there. Chapter 11, we're going to continue starting at verse 20. Last week, actually the last couple of weeks, we, we've turned kind of a corner in Jesus' preaching. He, he's gotten heavy on us. And, you know, we kind of... I'll like to go back to that meek and mild Jesus but now we're we're going to deal with judgment Jesus and and it's the same Jesus I jest a little bit but you know sometimes when we start talking about judgment it, it's a little bit uncomfortable in fact I googled Jesus and judgment and you really shouldn't do that um I don't recommend it. There's some things that are thoughtful and some maybe even insightful, but a lot of them are just wacky. Um, I mean, you just got a whole slew of people who basically are letting us know that Jesus, Jesus is judging everyone but them. And they all have their things that they're picking on that they want to exemplify that God's judgment is going to take place. Jesus is going to judge. And they list their, you know, category of things that Jesus is going to judge. And an overall consensus is that Jesus Jesus is going to judge everyone but me. That's kind of the feeling you get when you start reading some of these things. It's like, I'm okay, but all of you guys are messed up. And so Jesus needs to judge you. And it's funny how those things take place when we start talking about judgment. Let's read just verse 20. To 24, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on that day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have re- remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on, that, on the day of judgment than for you." Oh boy. You know, even though we don't like to talk about judgment or we don't like to think of Jesus judging unless he's on our side kind of a thing, really we all want judgment to some degree. If you were in a car accident, someone rear-ended you or backed into you and it was obviously their fault and you went to court, to settle this and they started lying. Oh no. He ran into me, Your Honor. Yeah, he he pulled his side of his car right into the back of mine. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And then the judge says, You know what? Let's just love each other. Okay, you guys? Let's just let it go. You'd be like, hey, no. I don't want to just, hey, let it go because I have to pay for this and it was their fault and, and I want you to to rule in my behalf because I, I want judgment. It's just right. This is judgment that should be just and, and we actually do want it. And how much more so if it's even more serious? If someone harms your child or a member of your family, if some injustice is done that causes calamity, then we do want judgment. And so we recognize that judgment isn't bad. It's actually something we desire in the right instances. But one thing is clear is we all seem to rush to judgment rather quickly. And especially that takes place in Christian circles. It seems like we're quick to incite judgment. I remember a while back there was a book that came out. It was very controversial because the author was a controversial author. But before the book even came out, there was a slew of judgment against him. They hadn't even read the book. They had only read what someone had thought the book was going to be about, and they were already posting blogs and articles about how bad this book is, before anyone even read it. And we're so quick to go to those kinds of places to judge. And I think we need to understand there's some basis and have a right perspective on the subject so that we can talk clearly to people about Jesus's judgment especially those who aren't Christians those who don't have our faith I think it's real important that we're able to dialogue with them clearly about judgment because there's no way about it around it Jesus is talking about judgment he does Jesus talks about hell and although we would like to maybe not address these things, or it's easier not to address them. They're there, and we have to acknowledge them, and we want to have the right balance of how we deal with this subject to those, again, who aren't of faith, but even in our own culture. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into the Christian culture pitfalls that happen so easily and so quickly, that become so judgmental, We can be informed by some things, but we don't have to be assimilated into them. You know what I'm saying? We we don't have to just swallow or drink the Kool-Aid of what's going out there. We need to be able to talk and think things through, especially on subjects like this. And when we talk about Jesus and his judging, a slew of ideas or thoughts maybe come into your mind. When you hear, oh, Jesus, yeah, I, I can't be a Christian because Jesus is so judgmental. And basically, they're saying because of these people who have, in the name of Jesus, brought judgment. And so we need to look at this and what it means. Because didn't John write in John chapter 3, verse 17, that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world? Okay, so if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world then why is he here judging the world? Well, first of all, we need to understand that right here in Matthew, he is not judging. He is talking about a judgment to come. And it's really important that we see that Jesus is warning of this judgment that is coming. You see, we feel the need to bring God's judgment down here and now. And Jesus' own disciples, the sons of thunder, did that. Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume these who are causing problems with him? It's like, what? And Jesus said, "You don't know what manner of spirit you are." I wish Jesus would have said, "Yeah, go for it." Cuz what would they have done? And I'm like, well, we we're kind of hoping you would do it, you know. But that's exactly the point, you know. We we want to bring God's judgment, but it's God who's got to bring the judgment, not us. And we're so quick to want to bring this judgment, but Jesus is talking about a judgment that is to come. Not something that we need to bring about here and now. And it's not what we select as needing judgment. It's not the specifics that we have problems with. The things that we can point out. You know, one of the things that's a hot, Topic right now is homosexuality, and there's a lot of Christian churches that want to bring judgment on homosexuality. That we want to let them know that, boy, you do this, you're going to hell. But in in some of the passages where Paul talks about homosexuality, he lists right next to it covetousness. We don't have rallies to stop covetousness, And, and that's one that's a little harder to to define and. It's actually something that's more rampant. And so we'd rather point the ones maybe that don't pertain to us and leave alone the ones that do pertain to us. But again, the judgment is something that is going to come. Yeah, if you live in a, a pattern, there's always consequences. But Jesus isn't trying to hammer these people who are right here. He's warning them of something that's to come. We also... Many times, if, if we see that Jesus is bringing judgment, we want it to happen right now, but then the alternative is also we want a domesticated Jesus, right? We want a Jesus that isn't going to judge. We want a Jesus that isn't going to hurt anyone's feelings. And Jesus just doesn't give us that, that option. Jesus didn't have a, a PR guy. You know, now with the election's coming on, everyone's, a, it's all about a soundbite, right? You gotta have the right soundbite. And everything's gotta be politically correct. Jesus just had the worst soundbites. <laughs> woe to you. No, Jesus, don't, don't start with woe. Woe is not the way to go. There's a soundbite. But Jesus would start off with this, woe, and, you know, the the PR guy would be, no, Jesus, don't, you had them going when you were, you know, doing the whole blessed are things, but let's ex-nay on the judgment, J, you know, Let, let's stop that, let's just go back to those things, but Jesus doesn't. He's feeding 5000s and then he stops and he says, "Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me." No, wait, stop, Jesus. Cannibalism is not something we want to bring into this election period. <laughs> and Jesus had no problems with telling things straight, and so we need to understand that. He wasn't bringing a condemnation on the people right here now, he's warning them of a judgment to come, but he wasn't pulling any punches as well. He's not a mascot or a buddy. He's our savior. And so we need to recognize that judgment is something that it comes with the package, that there is warnings and that judgment isn't always bad. In fact, it's actually something that is good. It's also important to recognize who Jesus is speaking to and what he's speaking about. Here he lists a few towns. One looks like Chorizo, but it's Chorazin, and then Bethsaida, Capernaum, which Capernaum was actually his hometown as an adult. It, It was his ministry headquarters, if you were. It's where most of his work started out. And in the past chapters, chapters 8 and 9, 10 of the miracles that were done were done in this region, and so that's why he's pointing them out, because they are the focus of what's going on. He's pointing them out because he wants us to understand that something was done here. There were dead people raised. That's a big deal. There were people who were blind, who were able to see again. Incredible things. But these people, they really didn't want to believe. There were a lot of people who should have known the signs and what they meant, but they didn't. And in one place where he says Capernaum, Will you be lifted to the heavens? There was a saying, because Capernaum was pretty affluent. Capernaum, will will you be lifted to the heaven? It was kind of like Upland City of Gracious Living. It was kind of their nickname. And he was like, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. It's kind of like on our money. It says, in God we trust. Sometimes you look at that, really? You, You trust in God? Or is it in money you trust? And so it's that kind of thing. Jesus is saying, really? Is this the case? And there's two things that Jesus is pointing out to these cities and what he's trying to get across. First of all, he's pointing out the seriousness of not repenting when exposed to the light. He's declaring that there is something that you need to worry about if you do not change your ways when you hear the truth. There is a judgment that you need to be worried about. And second, he's telling these people that will be judged and they will be condemned based on the revelation that they have received. So Jesus is talking about, or two people, who should know. He's talking about, basically, we're going to see in verse 25, in fact, we'll read just that one, verse At the same time, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. So he tells us who he's talking about, the wise and learned. He's talking about the religious people who should have known what he was doing, who he was, but they didn't. The judgment was pointed to those in these cities who should have known, the learned, the wise, those who were educated in the religious ways, but they didn't know. And he's saying that they're going to be held accountable for condemning or not repenting when this revelation was given to them. You guys have probably heard someone say something like, well, is God going to send someone to hell who hasn't heard about Jesus? What about the pygmies in Australia? What about those tribes out in Africa who have not heard the gospel? What about those people? Is God gonna send people to hell just because they didn't hear about Jesus? And that's a serious question. And there are some who will stand firm. Well, yes, unless you hear about Jesus, unless you confess with your mouth Jesus, then God is going to condemn you. But we see that God is only holding them accountable for the revelation that they receive. And God will hold all of us accountable for the truth that we hear and reject. It was more so for them because here was the one, the Messiah, as we've been talking about, who has revealed himself, who they were supposed to be looking for, and he was there and they rejected him. See, if God reveals himself to you and you close your eyes to it, your ears to it, you turn your back on him, you're accountable for that. To whatever degree that is, it's going to be different for the pygmies or those in a tribe somewhere distant, but he still reveals himself. Remember, he revealed himself to Abraham, who was an idolater. God reveals himself all the time to people. He did it in Athens, Paul, Acts chapter 17. You know, that's one of my favorite passages. So God is constantly revealing himself and we're accountable for that revelation. They were accountable for a great revelation. Jesus himself was there, the Messiah who they were looking for, and they rejected him. That's what's happening here. Just to put a context in this, just so we are clear, because people will pull this verse and they'll start throwing it at people who aren't even a part of this conversation, people who haven't heard about Jesus, and they'll throw this condemnation on them, and it's like, this isn't who he's talking to. He's talking to the learned, those who should know, those who should be expecting. And he is telling them that you're going to be held accountable. He's not justifying those or everyone who doesn't hear, because he goes on and he says, these cities that receive judgment, but if they had heard, had seen the things that happened in your midst, things would be different. Things would be different. He's pointing to a coming judgment. This new kingdom is breaking in, and yet, at the same time, it's not yet. The only ones who can judge are those who have authority. Jesus is saying, I'm going to have authority. Who I am is going to bring judgment He's not claiming this authority here and now, but it is his. This kingdom is showing up. It's here at your doorstep. I am the one that the scriptures have been talking about. I am here and you've rejected me. The judgment will be on you for that. More than these cities who were judged but the judgment will be greater based on what you had and what you rejected. As Jesus is speaking about judgment, it's more about, he speaks about it more in the New Testament than anyone else except for maybe John the Baptist. He doesn't speak of it to unbelievers. He's speaking it to those who should know who he is. It would be wise for us to keep that in mind. That when we're presenting the judgments of God, it's to those who are, to those who it's been revealed to, those to who the revelation is, those who hear His words and think, you know, He's not talking to me; He's talking to someone else. That doesn't apply to me. You see, the judgment really are things that we need to be concerned about. These are areas where we have to wrestle with. Because if we believe that Jesus is Lord, if we believe that what his words say are life and truth, then we are accountable to those words. And he's going to hold us accountable. But let me ask you, because I know I do this. I justify myself. I'm not gossiping. I'm just talking about that person in creative ways. (laughs) I'm just telling the truth from my point of view. And I want everyone to know the truth. And it's easy for us then to just put ourselves in a position and say, well, you know, we aren't supposed to gossip or, or fill in the blanks to whatever situation it might be, but it's easy for us to think, I don't have to worry about judgment. It doesn't apply to me. It applies to them. I'm not doing those things, so I don't need to worry about, but what about the things you are doing? You see, this judgment is supposed to be It belonged to Israel, it belongs to the church. He doesn't speak to unbelievers. He he is preaching the gospel to the people of God. The Old Testament, Israel, New Testament, the church. Those of us who hear his words and think, "Ah, that's not me, and are living with sin and disregard it, that's who he's speaking to. And it's amazing how quickly this can infiltrate our thinking. How quick we are to, again, judge others for the things that they have done or are doing and not realize the revelation that they received was far less than the revelation we've received. And instead of trying to take the speck out of their eye, we need to worry about the beam in our own. Judgment is coming. We're all going to have to answer for the things that we've done. But what revelation have you received and what are you doing with it? You see, because that's where the danger is. The danger is with us who know. And don't show up. Don't believe. Don't take its heart, don't live according to what we really believe. That's the danger. That's where the hypocrisy comes in. That's what Jesus condemns. That's what he warns about. You know these things. How should you then be living if you know these things? And again, it's a good thing to know about judgment. It's a hard thing, but it's a good thing. And All of us have dealt with this at some point, in some way or another in life, at work. You've made a mistake. You forgot to stock something. You forgot an order, whatever it might be. And it's there in your mind, oh, no, I've done this. What if someone finds out and you hope no one will find out? You know, you, you ignore it and all of a sudden the, the manager comes up to you and say, Hey, Sam, weren't you supposed to take care of this? Uh, what are you going to do now? Yeah, I was. Oh, and we're busted. Now you tried to put it out of your mind. You, you tried to ignore it. You know, you, you took the credit card and you, bought shoes and they were expensive shoes and you hide the bill so your husband won't find it or your wife maybe uh, depends on what kind of shoes you got you you know it's there but you don't want it to, to come out you just Hopefully, you know, you'll just pay for it without it it being exposed. But then when it does come out, the judgment's there. What is this? It's shoes. (laughs) can't afford these shoes. And you put it off, but you know it's there. And we do the same thing with God. There's something in our life, and it's there, and we put it off. And the silly thing is we think he's not going to find it. We think we can just keep ignoring it, ignoring it. And what that's really showing us is what Jesus is warning us about. You don't really believe. You don't really care. I'm not really important to you, and you know the truth, but you're disregarding it. You're pretending I won't find out. You're pretending it doesn't matter, but it does. You see, that's who the warning is for, for those who know, but disregard. And we have to be careful because that can be easily one of us. Who it doesn't apply to are those who hear And are broken. And are convicted. To the poor in spirit. Those. Are not who he's focusing on. It's the Pharisees. The religious elite. Those who knew the scripture. But disregarded him. It's the pastor. The Christian. Those who know the scripture. But don't live according to it. That's who we are addressing here, those who are convinced that they have the spirit of God, but yet are full of hypocrisy, covetousness, sinfulness, and ignore it. It's one thing to know it, be broken about it, confess it, and say, God, help me. The judgment of God is not on those people, which is what verse 25 starts out. He says, at the same time, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things, what things? This judgment that's coming from the wise, the learned, and revealed it to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And so this judgment really is all about salvation. It's about relationship. His motivation isn't to predict your doom. God's not happy to predict the doom. What God was happy to do was to reveal this to children. Those who should have known, judgment is on there because you should have known. You're learned. You you have all that ability to know what's going on. You've disregarded it. But I'm glad, Jesus says, that you've made these truths known to the little children, those who are not the spiritual elite. Those who are, again, the broken, those who are contrite. And what he's doing here is, it's a warning that is motivated out of love. He he wants us to know these things. He's not warning them of judgment just to say, ha, 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 ha. He's warning them because he cares about them. It would be as if there was a town that believed a lie and they believed that they could all fly. And so they would go to the store and they would get the goggles for flying and they would get wings for their outfits because they think, we can fly. And someone comes to that town and he knows the truth and he says, You guys, you can't fly. They go, Get out of here. Who are you to tell us we can't fly? Look at the wings, look at the goggles they're the tail feathers we can fly and so they live this lie thinking that they can fly in the other town there are people who know they can't fly because they've tried they've jumped off the ledge and they've fallen and their arms are broken and they don't have the goggles and they don't have the wings they don't have anything and they just are miserable and they know we we can't fly and the person goes to them and, and he encourages them and say, guys, I know you're broken. I know you, you can't fly, but it's okay. I'm going to help you get better. I'm going to mend you. I'm going to take care of you. You see, the one town he warns them, guys, don't try and fly because you can't. And the other town he's going and he's saying, guys, I can help heal you. He's warning one and he's consoling the other. And it's the same message. The idea is, I can fly. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I'm good enough. That's my phone, by the way. Uh, That keeps ding. I recognize it. Oh, no. Email. And so those who think they're good enough watch out those who think they can fly they don't need god watch out judgment you you can't fly you can't do this on your own you're not good enough those who are broken who know they can't fly whose elbows are scraped and knees are bleeding Jesus says, come on, I'll help you. I'll help you get up and I'll heal you. To one, there's a warning because you think you can do it without God. You're proud and God is going to bring the humility to the others who are like little children. God's pleased to reveal the truth to them. And that's what's taking place here. Verse 27, he says, all things have been and my burden is light. I, I wanted to do these passages together because you, you, if you don't read them together, if you just take the one portion that deals with judgment and you don't take this portion, you, you get the skewed idea of what Jesus is saying or how he's coming across because they really do go together. They are balanced. He's not bipolar here. Wait, what did I just say? Oh, I mean something else. I mean, he's talking truth to both parties, to those who judgment is coming and to those who he's trying to lift their burdens. He's talking truth to both of them. It's a stern warning for those who believe that they can do it or be like God to do whatever they want, but it is encouragement to those who know they are broken. And we see this context as he reveals this of the past verses. The religious pious leaders those who are common, broken, needy. And the difference is their relationship. You see, this is really all about relationship. The religious have this posture. They can do this. They're good enough. That God has to move on their behalf because of how good they are. God bring judgment to those people. Why? Because I'm me. They're not me. They're not as good as I am. So they have this understanding of their posture that they're good enough. The others see themselves in a canoe without a paddle. God, we need help. We're lost. What's the relationship? One, there is no relationship. They're dictating to God what he should do. The others, they're crying out to God for help. What's your relationship with God? Do you know what God should be doing? God, do this. God, do that. God, you should do this. God, this is, I think you should do this. And, you know, you have the scripture, so they have the scripture. God, you must hate those Gentiles because they're not the chosen people. God, you must hate those non-believers because they're not obedient like us. They listen to music that's bad. They drink hard alcohol. They smoke things. And the list goes on and on. The things that you look to yourself as, I- I've got it together, they don't. Do you play that game? What's your relationship with God? Are you telling God how he should be God? Or are you broken, humble? And we see this relation begins first with Jesus and his father. All things have been committed to me, verse 27, by my father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. There's an exclusivity that's taking place because of who Jesus is. He's unique. He stands alone. He stands above. We recognize those things, that it begins with him. But then it is to those who find God and Jesus. And it's real important to see this because when it says, to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, many people focus on the word chooses, and you need to be careful because in verse 28, he says, come to me, all you chooses and all you what's going on here chooses to reveal him. In other words, those who see God in the Son, those who can see God in Jesus. Those are the ones he's talking about because all who come to him who are weary and burdened can find rest, not just the ones I choose you. You can't. Wait, I want to. No, sorry. It doesn't work that way. He, it's all who will come. So it's not chooses isn't being exclusive. He's talking about those who will see God in the person of Jesus. And there are three things that all have, that Jesus talks about, that he's the center of all of them. The first one is come to me. And then he talks about those who are weary and burdened, those who are humbled and dependent, We're, again, getting clarification about who the judgment was for by seeing who it's not for. Understand? We're seeing that Jesus is reaching out to these people so the judgment is for the other people. It's not for those who are weary and burdened. It's for those who aren't humble, that aren't dependent, aren't needy for God. Those who, again, think they have it together, the religious elite. And so when he says, come to me, you who are in this condition, he's beckoning us to come to him to recognize our condition. If you don't feel that you're weary or burdened, I guess you don't need him. You do, but you may not think you do. Eh, I'm okay. And there are some people, they don't think they need Jesus can't make them think they need Jesus. Okay, that's where you're at. But he says, take my yoke. Now, this is really a rabbinical term that was given to rabbis and their disciples. I think most of you know what a yoke is. It's something that goes over two oxen. It kind of knits them together. It holds them together. But it was a rabbinical term that the rabbis would use with their disciples to take the yoke of their rabbi it doesn 't sound like a good thing you know to get this big hunk of wood strapped onto your neck and and be latched onto it, but think of it this way if you 're yoked to someone stronger than you, then there 's less work for you to do, in other words, if you have to plow the field all by yourself that 's going to be a burden, but if you 've got someone stronger than you that you're yoked to, now it helps to lift your burden. And so when Jesus says, says, take my yoke, he's asking us to be connected to him, to be tied in with him, with who he is, with what he does. Because when we're connected to Christ, the burdens are lifted and we actually find rest. Augustine wrote, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds its rest in you. I love that. Our soul is restless until it finds its rest in you. And how many people are beat up, are struggling to find worth in life, find their place, wanting to please God, but not being good enough, recognizing just the condition of our own soul and the hurt that we find ourselves in, how many people can see that, can understand that, and what Jesus is saying is, hey, come here, attach yourself to me and help, let me help you with that burden, you can now find rest for your soul because I will carry those inadequacies that you are aware of, that you have confessed, that you humbly acknowledge to me. A yoke is a working instrument. When you attach yourself to the yoke that Jesus is talking about, recognize That means you have to go where he goes. You can't say, okay, I'm with Jesus now. I'm going to sit down. No, he's moving. You can't follow God in neutral. You have to be active. You have to be moving forward with him. When you take his yoke, it means you're identifying with him. It relieves your burden but it also gives you a job to do. When I do dog training and and walk dogs, every now and then I get a dog who does the snowplow thing. They don't want to walk. They put their legs out. They just, you know, it's like the cartoon character. And you've got, you know, it's funny because they'd be happy to walk on their own and do their own thing, but as soon as you want them to follow you, no, I don't want to follow you. I got my own plans. And so what you got to do is get the dog to understand, no, you can't do your own thing. You've got to follow me. That's your job. When Jesus calls us to take his yoke, he's calling us to a life that follows him and is serving him, living for him. And that's going to show up, that's a whole other topic in itself, but understand that when you take that yoke, it's calling you to be a participant. It's not calling you to sit on the couch and watch TV and eat chips. As fun as that might be, there's more to his work, what he has for us. And then he says, learn from me, cultivate the skill of paying attention to Jesus. Cultivate the skill of tuning your thoughts on who he is, what he did, what he's about. Learn who he is so that you can be like him, so that you can walk and step with him. After all, you're attached to the same yoke. When I worked construction and I I would work carrying pipe when I was a pipe fitter, you know, sometimes you'd carry some heavy pipe and we'd put it on our shoulders and there'd be two of us walking. It was easy when you walked in sync. You'd learn to walk in the same step and it flowed a lot better. But if the guy behind you put it on a different shoulder and he's kind of walking a different step. You, you feel all this bumping going on. And it's like, man, come on, dude, get in step. See, if we're going to learn of him, we got to, how are you walking? What are you doing, Jesus? Because I, I want to do what you do. I want to walk in steps so that this yoke and this burden is even lighter and I'm moving with you, not fighting against you. How do you speak to people? How do you care for people? And contrasting all that is what doesn't bring rest. If you're not walking in step, if you're not taking his yoke, if you're not learning from him, then you're not going to have rest. You're going to be weary. You're going to be burdened. And what you're going to do is be burdened with the religious regulations. Burdened with, oh, you've got to do this to be good enough. You have to, and you'll focus on your own things and it'll be apart from the heart and relationship of God and it will end up not satisfying, not bringing you rest. You'll find yourself doing things that don't satisfy you. And so, We see the contrast here, those who are religious, those who fill their life with the religious burdens and yet get no benefit from it, only get judgment, and those who are broken, who want to learn from Christ, take his yoke, and follow him, that they find rest for their souls. What makes Jesus' yoke different? It's the relationship. It's Jesus' relationship with the Father. It's mediated by the spirit and given to us. It's all about staying connected to the one we love. What makes this yoke different is it's not a burden because it's not a regulation, it's a relationship. It's spirit given, it's Christ revealed, and it's father and son centered. We come to him because he's gentle and humble in heart. Think about that. I am gentle and humble in heart. That means I'm concerned about you. This speaks of the nature of the relationship and how it works. So many times I can be in the relationship with my children, not gentle. My wife lets me know sometimes when that takes place. She's more in tune to something. I'm coming across, you know, I'm thinking, I love my kids. I love them. She goes, man, that sounded harsh. I didn't mean it harsh. Well, it sounded harsh. "Ah, That's okay. Didn't mean it. Who cares what I meant? What it sounded like was bad. It came across the wrong way. Jesus is gentle. He's humble in heart, which means he's concerned about us and not himself. That's what draws us. That's what keeps us. That's why we connect to him. That's why we are united with him. We come to him, we take his yoke, and we learn of him because of who he is. And in these things we see that there is a judgment that will come to those who should have seen the truth but rejected it. And there is mercy and grace for those who are broken and need the truth and want it. And so it really is the judgment is is this idea of this sword that cuts both ways. It brings judgment to those where it's necessary, but it's not condemning those who need help. And it's real important that we understand the justice of God in these things. Let's pray. Lord, in this passage, there is things to be concerned about. There's things that we can be comforted in. It all depends on our relationship with you. We should be concerned, Lord, if we're living a life that is excluding you living a life that is being in control of our own lives and not submitting to to who you are and the things that you desire for us, thinking we are good enough. There is comfort for those who know that we aren't good enough, that we need your help daily. Even as we spoke about Sunday, there is the need for confession over and over and over again. There is the need for repentance over and over and over again. Lord, the judgment falls on those who don't repent. Those who become hardened and don't turn. Those who don't bow their knee, those who don't acknowledge the area of that they should confess. And so, Lord, I think most of all what we need to examine in in these passages is our relationship with you. How is it? Are we telling you what to do? Are we expecting you to get on our side? Are we wanting to bring judgment and not seeing that the judgment is really a warning for us? Or are we coming to you, taking your yoke and learning of you, submitting ourselves to you and following you? Lord, what is our relationship? And I pray this evening we would think about these things, that maybe you've revealed areas that need to be confessed and repented. Maybe you've comforted us in the areas that we are broken and recognize you're not judging us. You're here to, to give us rest. But what we need to do is come to you. Lord, I pray that that area of relationship with you would be the focus here tonight and We would leave tonight examining our hearts and and where we are in that area of relationship. And if it's not where it should be, all we have to do is come to you. You're gentle and you're humble in heart. And it's there that we will find the rest that our souls need. And Lord, even as Augustine said, we're restless without you and only find rest in you. I pray everyone here would find that rest in you. And I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.